Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Growing Up Female with me, Connie Simmons. This is the podcast where we chat about what it's really like to grow up female behind the shiny social media profile. I'll be chatting to a whole host of young, inspirational women about race, beauty standards, periods, body shaming, sex, relationships, social media, everything it means to grow up as a female today. As we explore mental health more deeply this month from Growing Up Female, I've invited Dr. Sarah Vora, a consultant psychiatrist, to talk to me more about her passion to empower people to be able to spot signs of mental health in both themselves and in others. Welcome to Growing Up Female, Dr. Sarah Vora. Oh, hi, Connie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to be doing this with you. I am so excited about this. I just feel like the science doesn't lie and I love your approach to mental health. I feel like you break it down so nicely. You make it more like like humane, like you, you connect the physical and the mental together so well, which I think makes it so much easier to understand and easier to cope with. That's, you know, that's music to my ears because what I found with you know sort of social media is that we're just overwhelmed with so much information yeah especially when it comes to our mental health how do we spot signs when we're struggling how do we spot signs when other people are struggling and what can we do to help so Mm. what I really wanted to do was kind of cut through the noise share my experience because I've got over sort of 10 years experience working specifically in mental health um, and just give really simple actionable tips so that people can start to make small changes to feel calmer and happier yeah absolutely and it really does show and before we go into more detail on that I just want to sort of go back to the beginning we had because this is growing our female we we do talk a little bit about the guests and you know how they've end up where they are today so what what was your driving force what made you want to go into sort of mental health psychiatry I grew up in a family of doctors, so it was kind of a natural progression to go into that field. But what I was finding when I was training is that I wasn't really necessarily interested in kind of the quick fix approach. So when people, patients were coming to A&E, I was really interested in the backstory. You know, what was it that brought people to A&E at this particular time? Mm. You know, what struggles were they facing at home? What struggles meant that they came at this particular moment in time? And you know, my husband's a complete opposite. So my husband's a surgeon. So he's very much something's broke, fix it. Whereas actually, I quite like the challenge of speaking to people and and trying to help them lead calmer and happier lives. So 
you know, I've, I've been interested in mental health since I was at university. Um, and it's just really just strengthened year on year. Um, it, it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I think, I do think it's like, obviously better late than never, but I do wish that, I do wish that, you know, people were more, it's not, it's not, the word's not sympathetic, but maybe it is towards mental health issues like so long ago. Cause I love watch, watching like history programs um, and documentaries, but I hate when it's like, oh, she had postnatal depression. So they put her in like um, a mental health, inst- like uh, what they call psych- psycho, psychiatry or that's it, asylum. Asylums, that yeah. is the word I was looking for like oh my god it breaks my heart and I'm just so glad that that doesn't happen here in the UK but does that happen it's like in the world anywhere else do you think no, still no, we've, I think we've moved on hugely since that time but I think that there's still a lot of stigma around mental mm. illness and I think yeah. often people will kind of have this um sort of really dated idea of what it means to have a mental illness and what options there are available to you. And I suppose, again, that's the reason why I wanted to set up the Mind Medic, which I started four years ago, just to really debunk some of those myths and those ideas of what it means to struggle with your mental health. Because, you know, we all have mental health and we all struggle with moments when we feel down or when we feel anxious. But what I want people to know is that, you can make simple changes to feel better in yourself. You know, even if you are not under the care of a psychiatrist or under the care of a GP, but you struggle with your emotions on a day-to-day basis, Mm. there are things that you can do to improve your mental well-being. Mm. And, you know, I would find that people would come to clinic and say, I feel really low, I feel really anxious, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is. So, that was when I developed this sort of five sense method, which is all about how you can confidently spot signs or things that may be contributing to sort of poor mental health. So I'd ask people, is there anything that you've seen, heard, felt, smell or tasted that could explain why you feel the way you do? Mm. And a lot of the time they'd say, well, actually, I've been spending a lot more time on my screens, particularly during the lockdown period, you know, that social comparison is really rife. Or maybe it's that they are in a really overly critical relationship and they've been in lockdown with an overly critical partner and that has just reinforced this idea that they're not good enough or that they don't feel good enough. Or maybe that they are working from home and constantly backwards and forwards to the kettle, downing caffeine drink after caffeine drink, and then just feeling just really on edge, really stressed and really angsty and then struggling to sleep. So very slowly, you can kind of pinpoint those stresses and then make simple changes to try and alleviate those stresses. So it might be thinking about introducing a screen curfew and being really strict around that or Mm. ending a relationship if it's really toxic or Mm. maybe cutting down on your caffeine use. So it's really about empowering the individual Mm. to make those changes to feel better in themselves. And this is why I love this method, because what you've explained and the examples you've given are things that you might not realize are affecting your mental health but you know do you know what I mean absolutely and I think often you know we're we're so busy and you know before we started recording we were talking about the juggle and Mm. having to juggle you know for some of your listeners motherhood juggle work juggle you know life with a partner you know it can be really really overwhelming that we rarely have a time just to stop take stock and think okay what's going on with me 
Mm. And I think this method is all about sort of simple ways of kind of taking stock and thinking about, you know, how you're feeling and and ways that you can improve how you're feeling. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So just you've covered a lot of my questions, but um, the questions I've got will allow us to go a little bit more deeper. Um, Like, for example, what what this is what I've always wondered what's the difference between being nervous or worried say you're like a warrior like you're someone that worries about things and having anxiety because I do feel like the word anxiety and people saying, oh I'm stressed is used a lot is it being overused and when can we sort of draw the line between our feelings you know yeah and I, I think you're absolutely right you know I'll have people that come to see me in clinic that will say I feel depressed or I feel anxious. And, you know, that is a descriptive term. So, you know, we we do all experience like degrees of anxiety. But the way I look at it is at what point does that anxiety run away with you and start to affect simple everyday tasks? So Mm. the time that I might see someone who struggles with anxiety is if it's affecting things like their personal life, their ability to go out and socialise with friends. It might be affecting their relationships and friendships it might be affecting their ability to work or maybe to look after their children Mm. so it kind of infiltrates every aspect of their life and it that feels a lot more difficult to manage you know we all experience worry on a a daily daily basis so you know even I experience Mm. worry daily and I suppose the worry that I experience doesn't necessarily um, get to the stage where it's impacting me personally or affecting Mm. my work, for instance. And again, one of the tools that I talk about within the book is something called the worry dump, because I recognise that often we can get mixed up with what's worry and what is kind of uh, a worry that creeps into more of an anxiety or an anxiety disorder, which might require a support of someone like me, like a psychiatrist. But the the worry dump is really about trying to, you know, categorise your worry because we all experience worry. You know, as a mum, I'm constantly worrying whether I'm doing a good job or not. I'm constantly worrying whether Mm. when I'm at work, you know, am I doing good enough job by my patients at work? You know, worry just consumes every kind of living moment for me. But what I need to do is try to think about when worry will serve me and when it won't. So as an example, the way I get people to look about worry is thinking about whether the worry that you're experiencing, is it something that you can turn into a problem that you can solve? So as an example, I had a worry Mm -hmm. yesterday ahead of our recording. I was thinking, oh gosh, I haven't been sent the link and I could have allowed that worry to run away with me, consume me, you know, stay up all night thinking, oh my God, Connie's not sent me the link to this recording. But rather than allow that worry to run away with me, I simply turned it into a problem that I could solve, which was I emailed you and said, look, I haven't got the link. Is it possible to send it? And so I've, I've you know, empowered myself to be able to solve that that problem rather than Absolutely. allow the worry to consume my time and energy. Now, I might not worry. It might be something along the lines of, OK, I've got this recording with Connie what happens if she thinks I'm really, really boring? I've got nothing interesting to say. What happens if she just stops the recording, says, I don't want to carry on anymore? And actually, that might not even happen. But I can allow myself. Oh, my God, I would never do that to anyone. (laughs) You better not. You better not. (laughs) But the idea being is that I could get really lost in my head with that worry. 
Mm. And it can consume a lot of time and energy. It might even take away enjoyment from being able to record with you. Mm. And something that is actually a really positive experience. So what I would say to people is when you experience a worry that might not even happen. So I can't turn that worry into a problem that I can solve readily. So what I do is set aside half an hour each evening of what's called a worry curfew. So with that particular worry around recording and what you might think of me, I think, okay, this is a might not worry. I can't, I can't solve, I can't turn it into a problem that I can solve. So I'm going to postpone it to my worry curfew at half seven at night. So what I do is each day I allocate half an hour for those worries to come back to later in the day. And I basically repeat the process. So as worries come into my mind during the day, I just ask my, ask myself the question, is this a worry that I can turn into a problem that I can solve? If it is, then solve the problem or think about who you can ask to help solve the problem. So again, you know, one of the worries I had is that my daughter doesn't start school till tomorrow. So I wanted to make sure that this recording was quiet. So I turned that worry into a problem that I can solve by asking her grandma to look after her for an hour. So again, mm-hmm. rather than getting lost or maybe having my daughter downstairs and constantly worrying that she's going to interrupt, I've empowered myself to be able to turn it into a problem that I can solve. Mm-hmm. So then come the end of the day, when you get to your worry curfew, review your list of worries. So, you know, if we take again that worry that you were going to interrupt the recording, I can immediately strike that off and think, well, actually, Connie didn't stop the recording halfway through. And actually, we had a really nice chat. So mm. you strike that worry off and you think, what would it, what would have... Um, you think what would have getting lost in that worry earlier in the day got in the way off and again just feeling empowered that you actually stopped that in its tracks yeah so it's a really really helpful tool it's putting you in control isn't it a hundred percent and I think that's so so important because I think when you do worry you can feel out of control and you can it can consume so much time and energy Mm. that this is a tool about empowering you to take that control back for sure. I mean, I, I'm in a position at the moment where I'm so worried that my flat's not going to sell. And I would, we, you know, we imagined not, not being at my parents for Christmas and we might have to rent. And I really didn't want to rent. And like, oh, I'm such a home bird and renting scares me because I won't feel like I'm at home. And I hate the thought of Macy moving between houses and being unsettled. And I don't really know how to control this. I know this isn't, um, isn't, a, it isn't a therapy session. <laughs> but for example, that one, I'm like, well, that isn't something I can control. And I don't really know what to do about it. So I would say, again, that is a a might not worry because, you know, all you're going to do is consume a lot of time and energy by overthinking. So, again, I get a lot of people saying, well, what happens if the same worry keeps cropping into my mind? So it sounds like that particular worry for you is something that is just ongoing. But I think getting used to reinforcing that idea that this worry is not going to serve me to worry or consume my time and energy to think about it in the day, I'm going to log it I'm going to postpone it to my worry curfew and come back to it rather than allowing it to affect maybe mm. you know some downtime with family and friends or maybe playtime yeah. with Mason you know I think again just taking that control back that means that yes you might still worry about it but not allowing it to eat into your day yeah that's important it's true because I can find that I'm like clicking on right move which isn't isn't helping it but you know I don't know why that makes me feel like looking for a house that I can't even buy because my flat hasn't sold makes me feel better but um 
I think, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, you know, set it aside and, you know, I'll write it down and, um, yeah, do what you said, basically. You can't control, like, someone, you know, purchasing a flat or anything like that. So I, if I can't control it, I can't let it consume me. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, you, the other thing to think about is what evidence do you have that your flat's not going to sell? You know, you... And yeah. actually challenging yourself to think, you know, we can get lost in what I like to call faulty thoughts. So one of the things that I talk about within the book is kind of this idea that we jump to sort of negative conclusions or we predict like outcomes to situations before they've even happened. And to recognize that as as being a faulty thought and to think, actually, I haven't got any evidence that my flat will never sell. Maybe it's going to take some time. But I have no proof that it's it's never going to sell and that I'm going to be renting forever or, or whatever it may be. Um, and again, that can be a really, really useful tool to, again, take back that control. Um, and again, I, you know, I find myself experiencing faulty thoughts all the time. So, you know, not long ago, I published a book and I straight away the faulty thoughts just went into overdrive so I had this um faulty thought which is referred to as mind reading where you kind of um you're convinced you know what people think about you or in this case the book before they've even opened their mouth to speak yeah and again you know you know everyone's going to think this is rubbish or you know when you walk into a social situation or they think I'm um odd they think I'm really weird um they think I've got nothing interesting to say but again you're basing it on very little evidence but you can convince yourself that it's absolute truth because you get lost in your head yeah. um again what I would say in, in that situation is at the moment you have no proof that your flat sorry your house is not going to to sell and, and just calling it out for what it is you know this is a faulty thought and I could get lost in it or mm. I could take back control and just kind of let fate decide and, and just and move take each day as it comes really. yeah that's exactly it. it's taking each day as it comes for sure and that's what I'm t- going to tell myself now um so what about if someone's feeling because we covered feeling worried but what about if someone's feeling low because like illnesses like depression how do you know when you're just down for a little bit or just actually depressed because I think there's some people that seem completely okay and then you find out that they're suffering from depression or there's people that are really obviously suffering from depression and they stay at home like that stereotypical at home sort of keeping themselves themselves like it's it's hard to know you know who's going through and who's not. Absolutely. And I think with those sort of two examples that you've given, it's so individual. But I think mm. generally, you know, we all experience moments where we feel down. And, yeah. um, you know, that is normal. Again, what I don't want to do is kind of say that anyone that feels down must be depressed. But it's at, to what extent that feeling down goes on to affect kind of your personal, social and working lives. Mm. Um, so for That's instance, the key, isn't that, it, really? if it's affecting your sort of day-to-day life that's when you know it's something you really need to address absolutely so if it's starting to affect your ability to look after yourself your ability to look after other people like if you've got kids um maybe you're making mistakes at work you're struggling to concentrate and focus it might be affecting your appetite or your sleep so there's lots of areas that it starts to creep into that may indicate that you're struggling 
one of the tools that I like to use is something called a day in the life of. And I always mm. use my five-year-old as an example because, you know, everyone's always really surprised and says, well, what does a five-year-old have to be down or anxious about? But this kind of demonstrates that actually you can pick up those really subtle signs um, if you sort of look look hard enough. So if, as an example, my daughter will bound into our bedroom at six o'clock in the morning. She's normally like really, really happy. She, she's demanding to get dressed first thing on a morning. I'm just like, no, it's too early. Go back to yeah. bed. Um, so then, you know, we'll get her changed. She'll go downstairs. She'll have a breakfast. She'll watch her favorite cartoon. When we send her to school, she's generally very happy and she's happy to go in. She's not very clingy at all. Um, when I leave her at school, I don't hear a peep from the teachers all day. And then I pick her up. She's nattering to me in the car on the way home. So the reason I've kind of painted that picture is that if I suddenly noticed that, you know, come six o'clock in the morning, half six, she was still in bed, that it was a real struggle to get her dressed on a morning or that she didn't want to watch her favorite cartoon and she was you know offer breakfast yeah immediately you know it's not even 9am in the morning but I've picked up some signs that something's not quite right mm. whether it's with their physical health or a mental health and obviously with, in terms of physical health you can kind of rule that out fairly, mm. fairly straightforward that you could go to the GP get some tests done mm. so what I would say is if you're worried about someone or worried about yourself just think about what your baseline is you know the time that you wake up on a morning the sort of thing that you like to have for breakfast the things that you enjoy doing and when you start to feel out of sorts come back to that baseline and think what's changed Mm. And actually, very quickly, you might think, well, actually, I'm really struggling with motivation on the morning, or, you know, I haven't exercised in two or three months, and I'm starting to feel sluggish. So again, very quickly, you can start to generate a list of things that have changed for you that might suggest that you're struggling with your mood or, or with anxiety. And is anxiety and depression the same thing? They're not, are they? No. So again, you know, with sort of depression, we're really focusing on kind of low mood and anxiety mm. around kind of feeling worried, ruminating. Mm-hmm. But there is an overlap. So often what I find is that there can be an overlap. So if someone's mm-hmm. struggling with their low mood, they may be off their food. And similarly, if someone's really, really anxious, they may be off their food. So there, there are kind of overlaps with some of the symptoms, um, but they are very different conditions if you know when it if it gets to the stage that you're diagnosing yeah absolutely and would you say stress is it can cause either of those things like because stress is another thing we hear a lot of are you stressed I'm feeling really stressed is that is that actually when there's too much going on is stress just a, a, a another way of saying anxious or is that a whole another um thing as well so again, like these are kind of all descriptive terms. So I'll have people come to see me in clinic say, oh, I feel really stressed at the moment. And I always try to get them to unpick that and to explain a bit more what's going on. Because I think you can kind of assume you know what you what someone's thinking or saying when they're saying that they're stressed. But, you know, stress can be like a physical, so your body can come under physical stress, or it can be a, a mental um sort of um, difficulty so at the moment you know people have been um, stressed during the lockdown period maybe they've been made redundant or maybe you know they're grieving or maybe they're feeling overwhelmed with their finances and that can be described as a stress on them 
But then, you know, if if that stress is repeated or if it starts to affect their ability to look after themselves or they're constantly ruminating and getting themselves really worked up, constantly worrying to the point that they're not looking after themselves, that might creep into an anxiety, for instance. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And how much does like someone's lifestyle or diet um, play a part in their mental health and their stress levels and anxiety levels? Because where I where I get a bit frustrated is I'm a firm believer that your lifestyle, your diet and exercise all play a part in your mental health. And I think that though that, that combination or um can really help improve your mental health. And I get frustrated when I see like people saying things like, Oh, you know, I eat what I want and I'm, you know, I'm happy and um I guess it's a little bit like the body positive movement, um, where um I personally feel like when I eat badly for long periods of time, or I say badly, when I eat too much of non-nutrient dense foods, you have to be so careful how you word things, um, that I do start feeling low and sluggish and down. Um, and I, and I think like you are what you eat, you know, like in the sense, do you agree or? Yeah, again, within my book, I dedicate an entire subsection to taste for that very reason, because, you know, again, a lot of people that I would see in clinic would say that when they eat certain foods that they find that it can affect their mood or anxiety. And and what I don't want to say is that kind of food is is the answer when it comes to looking after your mental well-being. But I think, no. role, but I think it certainly has a role to play. Yeah. And, you know, I, as an example, I know that during the lockdown period, when I was doing um, clinics from home, and I was constantly backwards and forwards, just boiling the kettle. And it was just out of sheer habit. And then come the evening, I would just feel really wired and really kind of stressed, struggling to sleep. And I knew for a fact that it was down to the amount of caffeine that I was consuming. Mm. Um, or if it if it's that I was working, you know, every hour God sends and then realised actually I'd skip lunch and, and that my concentration was um, flagging. And, you know, so there's no question that actually the food we eat does have an impact on our mental well-being. And, mm. you know, I'd agree with you that there's so many messages, there's so many campaigns around social media that can be so easy to get confused and, and feel that yeah. you're doing something wrong if, if you're yeah. kind of going against the grain. So, you know, what one of the things that I always ask people to do and what one of the tools that I've thought about within the book is actually you feeling empowered to think about how certain areas make you personally feel Mm. not feeling that you have to kind of follow the crowd or to do something because it's on trend Mm. but actually you know if you are someone you're saying actually if I eat certain food groups that this is what I notice then you know who am I to argue with that actually Mm. if that's something that you experience but what I think is really important is with mental health it's kind of a 360 approach so it's all about kind of the food you eat how much you move your sleep you know there's there's yeah, lots sleep of is a huge and thing isn't it massively and people really really underestimate the impact um that you know a poor night's sleep has mm. and you know when I have people come to see me in clinic and say you know I'm really struggling with my mood or I'm, I'm feeling really tired and really sluggish and then you unpick that evening routine you just think no wonder you know they're not mm. turning their screens off until 11 half 11 at night they're going to bed at different times each 
each night. They may be drinking caffeine right up until the evening. So again, I think one of the things that's important to recognize is actually if you prioritize making simple changes to your evening routine, um, that's going to improve your sleep, but it's also going to impact how you behave the following day. Yeah. So sleep's really crucial for things like your appetite, mm. things like your mood, um, improving your concentration, your focus, your energy levels. So that's one of the things, again, mm. within the book, I dedicate a chapter wholly yeah. on sleep because, again, that has a huge role to play when it comes to our mental health. For sure. I mean, they're the things that affect me the most. If I have a bad night's sleep, I'm a different person the next day. I'm definitely not as positive. Um, I struggle a lot more. I'm very frustrated, get very frustrated easily. I lack patience. Alcohol really affects me like the next day, um, makes me feel really low. I, I like think about past situations and like dwell on them and I worry a lot. And then the other thing is, um, with food like um I I'm I'm an intuitive eater like I don't restrict myself from anything but I try and be really mindful and I know what's good for me and I like to um nourish my body but I also like to feed the soul that's what I like to say like if I want chocolate I have chocolate I probably have I have something sweet every day 100% and that's good for my mental health as well um so I've kind of figured that out with alcohol I've definitely a reduced the amount of alcohol I drink I always like water my drinks down with lots of ice or extra mixes so that you know I sort of I'm not hung up try and not be hung over and in terms of sleep um it's usually like if Macy's ill or whatever that I have bad sleep, but I've never really particularly suffered massively with not sleeping well until I became a mum. And that's when my mental health has been affected most. And I do think it was the lack of sleep. But I kind of told myself it's because you're a mum now. It's not because anything's going wrong in your life. It's just learning to adapt. And then that's when we got a sleep consultant to help us with Macy's sleep. And she's been sleeping through the night now. She does 7.30 till 7. And it's, yeah, and I'm like a new woman again. (laughs) do you know what's really interesting with you kind of talking about Macy's sleep there it was the same with my daughter that I if you think about it why is it that we prioritize our kids sleep yeah you know, we and we're really strict on our kids having a good sleep routine you know it's all about um you know bath bottle bed you know read a book getting them up at a certain time you know routine is kind of ingrained from day dot when you have a child and I just think why is it that that is just goes out the window as an adult you know we Mm, know I know if if my daughter even my five-year-old if she doesn't have a good night's sleep I know she's going to be grouchy in the morning I know she's going to be off her food I know she's just going to be yawning constantly Mm. and it's going to be difficult to try and find Mm. things to engage her and keep her going it's exactly the same for an adult yeah and again you know, when we when you were talking about food and the way you eat food or, or see food, similarly, you know, with my daughter, I know that when I was growing up, um, I struggled with my weight growing up. And I remember overnight, the crisps and chocolate drawer just disappeared. And like, there was no warning, it just kind of disappeared. And 
that was mm. the association that I made that these foods are bad for me because actually mum and dad have just cleared out the cupboards and we're not allowed to eat these things anymore. Mm. Which meant that when I did go to kids' parties or when I went to university, I just let rip and I was like, oh God, you yeah. these foods that I was able to. <laughs> yeah, those labels were set up from a very early age. Mm. So again, I've kind of thought with my daughter growing up, I don't want her to ascribe labels to food. I don't want her to yeah. like ascribe moral values to food that she's being good or bad so she has free reign in the kitchen she can go in the kitchen and, and get what she wants so there's no kind of food off limits and I have to be really careful about what I say because what I don't want to do is have the way that I was raised creep mm. into to her because obviously my parents were, were only doing what they felt was was right at the time yeah um but I think again one of the the mottos that I always think and and, and say um in in the house is that I wish we could live a bit more like Amelie yeah Amelie my daughter yeah. because again this idea that she just doesn't think if she's hungry she eats something she doesn't yeah. you know if she wants something sweet she just has it um, she's really good in terms of her, her sleep routine and actually she's all the more content for it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I, I've seen a quote before that said, um, what did your, your sort of younger, you know, imagine yourself as a, your five-year-old self and what she wanted to do in life, like mm. be her again, kind of have her confidence again. I mean, that is not how the quote goes. That was just a terrible description. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, that five-year-old Connie who just like would roll in the mud and get messy and jump around and have fun and not care and all those things, you know, try and be her again. Well, obviously don't jump in the mud as a nearly 30-year-old, but just have that <laughs> sense of fun again. And um, yeah, and I, that's what, that, that's again, like growing up female is all about, you know, who were you when you were younger and what changed and how have you got to where you are today and what can we do to be the best versions of ourselves? 
Absolutely. And I love that messaging. And I think, you know, one of the things in my day job, I see kids up to the age of 18. And obviously, I see a lot of girls coming through. And just thinking about how life's changed since I was a girl, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now. And I just think I didn't have the additional challenges such as social media um, growing up. And I, you know, just seeing what these kids face on a day to day basis, I think, God, how would I have coped? Because, I know. You know when I was at school, if, say, I was experiencing bullying, I, I knew that there was kind of an end point. I knew that would stop at the end of the school day. I could go home and have that sort of safe space at home. And similarly, yeah. with the summer holidays, again, I wouldn't have to see or speak to anyone that was unkind to me. Whereas for a lot of these kids, there's the constant social comparisons. There's the constant need to kind of flash stuff and be able to have stuff so that they can show it off. You know, even things as mundane as school uniform days for kids mm. is kind of a rite of passage to be able to kind of show what they've got. Um, and again, you know, this idea around kind of bullying and trolling, that it doesn't just stop the moment that they end the school day, that it continues 24-7. Yeah, so I think it can be really... It really is. And I think it can be a really scary time, you know, for kids, but, you know, growing up female to not only have to face those sort of real life comparisons, but also those virtual ones, too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was going to ask you, actually, like Macy being happy is obviously my main goal in life. And what can we do as parents to like support our children best we can in this modern day life? Mentally, obviously, support them mentally. I think it's just really important to maintain those lines of communication, just keep them open. And I think the things that I find um, sort of through clinic that tends to to break those lines or to shut those lines down is often for kids, it's that fear of judgment or that fear that, you know, the parent's going to get angry if they share what's going on for them. So, it could, you know, one of the tools that I talk about is something called face fear. And, and that's around this idea that if you notice that your child's a bit quieter than normal, if you notice that they're behaving out of sorts, is first and foremost, have a face to face conversation with them. A is for being attentive. So listen to what they've got to say. Don't jump in there with your agenda. Mm. You know, listen, listen to them. C is remaining calm. So if they share with you something that you think, you know, you're not happy about, just just keep your emotions in check. You know, you've got every right to feel angry, upset, guilty, whatever it may be. But the moment you relay that to your child at the very beginning, it can kind of shut down the lines of communication because they suddenly yeah. feel, well, you know, I was right all along. You're just going to get angry if I say this to you. So remaining calm e is about encouraging. So encouraging them to open up. So if you've asked them how they are, you know, allow them to listen, encourage them to to continue to share what's going on for them. And then the fear aspect is about you as the parent being able to have that conversation. So F is for facts. So it might be that you've noticed that your child is not talking to you or that they're a bit more irritable or they're off their food. That's your opportunity to say, look, I've noticed that you're a bit more short with me or that you're not coming downstairs and watching TV with the rest of the family. Now, if I was to reel off to you a list of things that I've noticed, your instant response is to get defensive. So the E is about explaining and putting into context. So mm. I've noticed that you're not coming down and joining us, you know, to watch TV. You're off your food. You used to be able to wolf down everything I put in front of you. So it's about putting 
those difficulties into context. Yeah. And then the A and the R is about agreeing and action reviewing. So it might be that your child's just broken up with their their boyfriend or girlfriend, or it might be that they're struggling with exams, or it might be that they've been feeling really poorly. So in which case, you can kind of put those difficulties into context. And you might say, well, okay, if things don't get better in a week's time, then I'll take you to see the doctor if, if your tummy's still playing up, or, you know, expect that if they are going through a breakup that they are going to feel a bit more down but agree to check in with them every day at you know at a time that you've both mm-hmm. agreed because you know the temptation is that you ask your child how they are and their instant response is I'm fine and then end of conversation you never come back to it so the a and the r is really crucial about agreeing an action together and then reviewing it and not letting that conversation just just fall dead really yeah they're great tips. Is that in your book or is that something no, else? No, that was in my other book. So I've got okay. another book which is um, focused more on children and what you oh. can do to spot signs when a child's struggling. Oh, I'm going to get that book just to have it, you know, just in case. So that's, Sounds yeah, really that's useful. Can We Talk. I'll send you a copy. Don't worry, I'll send you oh, a copy. Oh, thanks. No, I'll buy one. I will support you. <laughs> I don't want you to don't you. send it, I'll purchase it. Um, I know how that feels. I've got a book too, and I'm just like, oh, when people purchase it, you just feel so grateful. Um, oh, that's really kind. Now, I want to talk about medication for mental health, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, do you recommend it? Should people feel embarrassed by it? Should it be the last option? Like, what would your advice be in regards to medication for mental health? So, you know, as a psychiatrist, I do prescribe medication. And the thing that I would say, first and foremost, is don't feel that a doctor suggesting medication or you requesting medication is a sign of weakness, a sign that, you know, you failed in any way. That That's not it at all. And I think often there's a lot of stigma around mental health medication in particular. And mm. the times that I would prescribe medication, so that, you know, for a lot of patients that I see, they may not be on any medication at all, that it may be that they're accessing talking therapies or maybe family therapy um, and and they may never require medication but the cases that I would prescribe medication are if for instance someone is really struggling with their mood and they've tried the talking therapies they may have had a couple of sessions but maybe they're so depressed that they are struggling to concentrate to focus that they can't put in sort of those changes into place because they are so low medication can sometimes be quite helpful Mm. in lifting their mood improving their concentration um enough to be able to give the talking therapies a go so that's the times that I may prescribe medication you know and at the severe end of the spectrum some people may struggle with their mood to such a degree that they you have thoughts they don't want to be alive anymore and you know to to try and get them in a into a space where they're accessing talking therapy can be really difficult because they don't have the motivation they feel really worthless and helpless what's the point in living but actually medication at that point is actually life-saving you know to be able to yeah them to reduce those suicidal thoughts but what I would always say is that medication is never kind of just the only answer so even if I prescribe medication and it helps to lift someone's mood I would always prescribe it alongside them having a talking therapy because the talking therapy yes. is going to be the thing that helps in the long term. The medication will help, obviously, like I said, to lift the mood, improve the concentration, but it's the combination of the two. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a great response and it's so true. I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed about if 
if you've been prescribed medication what about like the herbal remedies like like um the sleeping ones are, are they any good or do you think it's more of a placebo so i i don't tend to recommend kind of um any night owl yeah so i i don't tend to recommend medication really for sleep um and the reason being is i think that we underestimate how simple kind of changes that we can make in, a, in a, our environment are so as an example if you were to really scrutinize your sleep routine could you hand on heart say that it's consistent every night for for weeks or months and I know I can confidently say that mine isn't consistent so really trying to think about your sort of sleep routine again thinking about it in the way of the five senses so if you think about your sense of sight, think about things like screen use. So are you using your screen devices right up to going to bed? Um, and even things like, you know, your Kindles or your e-reader, people don't actually realise, but that can um, impact what, you know, a hormone called melatonin. And that is crucial for sleep, for the, the pathways for sleep. So wherever possible, trying to switch that for a print book is, is so much better. Okay. Um, and then thinking about exposure to light. So again, is your room dark, dimly lit? Um, because again, the, the way that your body is going to go to sleep is if you lose light. So again, that's one of the indicators that, you know, it, it's ready for, for bed. So if you're in a sort of brightly lit room, then your brain's never going to get the, the trigger that it's ready to wind down and ready to go mm. to sleep. So thinking about light, then thinking about hearing. So you know, is your room really loud? Or maybe you're ignoring and not listening to your internal cues. So you're, you know, powering through that box set, even though you're yawning, or your eyes are feeling heavy. So actually starting to listen to those internal cues that you have that show that you're you're ready to go to bed. And then yeah. thinking about, um, again, exercise, I know that I'm really guilty, if I exercise too late at night, that can impact my sleep. Um, because what we find is, um, exercising increases your metabolic rate and then it rises your core body temperature so um, again as well as losing light your um your body requires um your body temperature to fall to initiate sleep so if you think um, about what you're doing if you're exercising and you're ramping up your core body temperature then again it's going to be a lot more difficult to go to sleep so if you are wanting to exercise, maybe more low impact activity, or maybe just moving your exercise routine to earlier on in the day. Um, and then the other thing to think about is things like caffeine and alcohol. So again, yeah. caffeine, is, you know, the reason we drink caffeine is it's a stimulant, it gives us more energy, and um, it makes us more alert. And those are the, absolutely the things that you do not want to be happening right before you go to bed. So, no. you know, what I would suggest is if you are someone that likes their tea or coffee, setting a curfew, so having no drinks um, past, say, 1pm. Um, and the reason being is that, you know, if you're having a, a caffeinated drink at 4 or 5pm, chances are it's still trying to work its way out of your system by the time you're going to bed. So bringing yeah. that forward is really important. Um, so again, there are just sort of really simple um, changes that you can make but the important thing is being really consistent so not just trying it for one night and thinking oh it's no good it's not working for me but really being yeah. consistent with it is is key 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I think people might give up too easy. And I also think that like as an element of being disciplined, like that is, I guess, being consistent is, you know, being being disciplined because you know the whole like turning your phone off and putting it aside I really think people struggle struggle to do that they like the phone has become such a habit scrolling through your phone at night and trying to fall asleep whilst doing that I need I mean I'm gonna grasp Ricky up he's really bad for it um I find that he's on his phone a lot especially before bed like he thinks right finally I can lie in bed and I can go on my phone and see what's happened in the world but I don't I think it's affecting his sleep so it's like I don't I I also don't think I can say it to him because I think he'll get defensive and like don't tell him what to do because I might be on my phone but I don't find it it's affecting my sleep I think that makes everyone's different absolutely and I think the other thing to think about is if you're listening to this and thinking well actually I always have a espresso last thing on a night and my sleep's fine that's fine that's you know carry on with that yeah if you are struggling with your sleep that might be something that is is quite simple to change and I wanted to come back onto the screen yeah. thing because I'm, you know, I'm really guilty for it. And I know my husband is terrible for like constantly reaching for his phone and constantly scrolling mindlessly. And like, I, if I could dedicate a chapter within my book to my husband, it would probably be the one on screen use because you know, <laughs> one of the things that I talk about is how we categorize our screen use. So, you know, mm. you could, say to me oh you know I need to go on my phone I need to check x y and z but if you really think about it think about what what screen use is non-negotiable so for instance us being able to record this this lunchtime is non-negotiable we need a screen to be able to record so yeah that does require a screen um thinking about the things that you like to do on a screen. So again, enjoying a box set or maybe watching a YouTube um, video. Again, that's something that you like to do. And then there's the not entirely necessary. So the not entirely necessary are those times that you reach for your phone. And then after 20 minutes, you think, what was I doing? Like I wasn't even meant to to squander all that time, but you just kind of get lost in it. So what I'd suggest to people to do is every time you reach for your phone or, you know, a laptop or TV, ask yourself, is what I'm going to use this for a non-negotiable? So as an example, paying a tax return or maybe texting a friend that you're going to meet up with that afternoon. That's non-negotiable because you need to yeah. have that communication. Um, is it something that you like to do? So is it something actually I want some downtime and I just want to watch a 30 minute YouTube video? Again, that's fine. Or is it am I going to get pulled into a not entirely necessary? And Mm. actually, that can be really quite liberating. As soon as you reach for your phone, you think, actually, I'm not going to do anything that's non-negotiable. And I'm not actually going to do anything that I like to do. So I'm going to leave it. I'm Mm going to come back to it later. And that can be really helpful about in terms of nipping in the bud those times that you just squander minutes and hours just aimlessly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. Just just putting it into category. And I think... I'm going to say it to him tonight and he'll probably tell me where to go, but I'm going to try. I just find men a lot harder to like, they don't get emotional or like into things like this as much. I don't know. Ricky doesn't. He's such a bloke, you know, like the stereotypical man. And he'll be like, Oh, for goodness sake, who are you recording a podcast with today? (laughs) (laughs) So, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try. I think, you know, I, I think, I think women are more in tune with this than men. Uh, women you know will will listen to this and take it on board and go with it whereas men I think are a bit more like oh yeah all right yeah all right I'll give it a go yeah yeah 
I don't know. Do you find that with your with clients that men are women are more um what's the word? Is it receptive? Yeah, I no, I completely agree with you. And I just wonder how much of that is down to again social media or how this information is presented to men. Because again, like I know for a fact that if my husband started to look at screen use in the way that I've described, I know that he would benefit from it. He wouldn't waste lots of yeah. time. He'd he'd probably sleep yeah. a lot better because he's constantly complaining about his sleep. But I think it we're yeah. still a long way from men being able to take on no, as in we're still a long way in terms of this advice being presented in a way that men will take on board. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, kind of the sort of health and wellness space does tend to I think dominate. be dominated by females. Yeah. I agree. Maybe that's something I could speak to Bradley about as something that maybe he should think about because he is um a man and I don't know if he talks about mental health enough you know and I think that's it if it it would just take you know if we think about mental health in general and the conversation has changed in the last two or three years because you've got people like the royals stepping forward and talking. yeah we've got amazing people like Matt Haig, Bryony Gordon and Fern Cotter again opening about even like Professor Green Professor Green he's great advocate Exactly. So I think, you know, people kind of putting out their own stories makes others feel safe that they can put out their own or they can be yeah. open to those around them. But I think the key is actually, okay, if you can recognize some of yourself in what other people are saying, how do you then move forward? And how do you then start to make sort of positive changes to feel better in yourself? Yeah, amazing. I love that. And I think I'm going to round it up at that point. Um. I could literally speak to you about it all day. I wanted to go into, like, what if you don't like your counsellor and where do you go? I mean, maybe I will ask you that, actually. I'm going to end it on the point of if someone has listened to this and they feel like it's time for them to reach out, this, this podcast hopefully will help, you know, anyone listening that, you know, doesn't really know who to turn to. What what What's the next step? Do you go to your GP? Do you reach out to a friend? Is it just based on the individual person? What if you don't have that support network around you? You know, what if there's a long waiting list? And I think that can be sometimes, you know, the worry of a waiting list can put people off going to ask for help in the first place. And I think mm. particularly what we were finding is during lockdown, people assume that GPs were kind of shutting up shop and they weren't around to just to deal with everyday difficulties so what I would say first Mm. and foremost is is to speak to someone and you know like you said some people may not necessarily have a a sort of friend or family network around them but if you do just to strike up that conversation or if you're someone that you've noticed that a friend or a family member is struggling just to use that face fear and that day in the life Mm. of exercise is a really simple starting point and to think Mm. about if there's anything that you can do to support them or is there anything that others around you can do to support you whether it's kind of a work colleague or a friend or a family member and if you think actually you know your problems are are, are more serious than that and that they really are starting to affect your everyday and your ability to look after yourself and your work I would urge people to, to go to their GP as their first point of call because the other thing is that services are very different up and down the country and, and what you do have access to mm. will be very different up and down the country and your GP is normally a very good kind of first point of contact to think about what you know services and support is available to you more locally amazing and what can I do if I'm worried about a friend what's the best thing for me to do 
I think, again, when I sort of talk about that face fears, you know, a lot of the mental health campaigns talk about how are you and that I'm fine. And I just think that we need to be pushing past those those really difficult conversations. So if you mm-hmm. are having a conversation with their friend and they're fobbing you off and saying, look, I'm fine, don't worry about me, just repeatedly coming back to that conversation is really important and not to have mm-hmm. the conversation just stop in its tracks. Um, think about, is there anything that you can do to support them? So I know a lot of people really struggled, again, during the lockdown period without having kind of that support network around them to maybe help out with childcare or to help out yeah. with giving them half an hour to themselves. So again, really thinking about what things that you can do to support them and it might be something simple as you know having taken their kids off them for half an hour so that they can just wash the hair or you know whatever it may be yeah um, but just you know helping them feel more confident to kind of to share with you what would be helpful for them yeah absolutely I think it's I think that the work with the pandemic I think a lot of people have become a lot less selfish and like help helping your neighbors and stuff has been quite a big focus and I hope that sticks and I hope people realize how important it is to reach out and to you know make sure people are okay to help people even if someone doesn't want their shopping done insist you know look I'm going there there must be something you need just going that little extra mile to just make sure that those around you even if they're not family or friends but a neighbor or someone in the street that you know you know struggling with their shopping like and just little things like that I just want that old-fashioned traditional you know love thy neighbor vibe to come back and I hope that the pandemic has kind of highlighted that no I hope so too amazing thank you so much Sarah for coming on as a guest I've really enjoyed that and I've learned so much oh please no thank you so much for having me Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and maybe even share with a friend if you think they could benefit from listening to Growing Up Female. I'll be back next Wednesday with another amazing female. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.